Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping. Welcome to Pem Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski. And today we're going to be talking about using ultrasound to make the diagnosis of acute appendicitis. And right up front, I'm going to want to go ahead and thank Liz Lendrum, one of the current pediatric residents here at Cincinnati Children's, who essentially served as the executive producer for this episode. Liz developed the learning objectives, compiled the references, and helped write the script that I'm using to record this episode. All right, so you all know what appendicitis is. It is among the most common pediatric surgical emergencies. It accounts for about 10% of the children evaluated in the emergency department for belly pain, and the incidence peaks around adolescence. However, a delay in diagnosis is common, especially in children under four to six years of age. And ultimately, many children just lack the classic signs of fever, nausea, vomiting, and right lower quadrant pain. We know that especially in children that are younger than preschool age that perforation is seen in about four out of five cases and that perforation leads to higher morbidity especially like abscess formation and peritonitis appendicitis and abdominal pain especially right-sided abdominal pain overlaps with a billion different illnesses and you will be tasked again and again with evaluating children with right-sided abdominal pain and though currently CT with contrast is more sensitive and specific. It has a high radiation burden. MRI is an emerging imaging modality for appendicitis, but it's not widely available, especially throughout the day. So therefore, we need an imaging modality that does not expose to radiation and that is reasonably accurate that will allow us to make the diagnosis of appendicitis. So that's where ultrasound comes in, and the focus of this episode is to talk specifically about the use of ultrasound and the diagnosis of acute appendicitis. Okay, let's start out by talking about how the ultrasound is actually done. So graded compression is the most commonly used technique in making the diagnosis of acute appendicitis. This involves applying pressure through the ultrasound transducer to displace and compress underlying bowel loops therefore allowing you to visualize the appendix. And if you see the appendix, one that does not compress is concerning for appendicitis. Other things that sonographers will do include positional scanning. So you scan the flank and the pelvis in addition to the right lower quadrant, because let's face it, not everybody's appendix is in the same position. And using Doppler can increase diagnostic accuracy. And I think you already know this, but we don't see the appendix each and every time we do an ultrasound. The rates of appendix visualization in the literature range from about 22% to 98%. That's a reasonably broad range. But in actual practice, the rate's probably closer to half to two-thirds of patients have a visualized appendix on their ultrasound. So what influences our ability to see it? Well, dedicated pediatric sonographers, as expected, are significantly better at identifying the appendix than non-pediatric sonographers. So it goes into operator-dependent characteristics and training. Body habitus impacts accuracy. False negative ultrasound examinations, so where the appendix wasn't seen but the patient ended up having appendicitis, are associated with having a BMI greater than the 85th percentile. And because everybody is built differently and the appendix is located in different locations, a retrosequel appendix, which is actually the most common position and location for the appendix, is also associated with decreased visualization. 
Patient cooperation plays a large role, so you want to have a child that can remain still and has good pain control. And we can't forget that using a standardized report from the radiology side can really influence accuracy. So it's not just the technique, but it's how the images are actually described to the providers and the surgeons that are caring for these children. This should include information both on whether or not the appendix was visualized and if there are additional findings that are suggestive of the diagnosis of an acute appy. And before I get too far, let's talk about whether or not you need to get a pelvic ultrasound at the same time as your right lower quadrant ultrasound. So if you have a patient with ovaries and ovarian torsion, hemorrhagic cyst, or other pelvic process on your differential, then it makes a lot of sense to get an ultrasound of the pelvis at the same time as your right lower quadrant ultrasound. This is what the surgeons would prefer as well. So the techniques for pelvic ultrasound include both transabdominal and transvaginal approaches. Transvaginal uses a probe that is about the size of a tampon, and it does not require a full bladder to obtain images of the ovaries and pelvic organs. In contrast, a transabdominal pelvic ultrasound does require a full bladder. Now again, the right lower quadrant ultrasound does not need a full bladder, but the pelvic ultrasound does. That's because a full bladder is an acoustic window for sound waves to pass from the transducer to the pelvic organs below. And so filling that bladder can generally be achieved by having the patient drink. But if you're considering appendicitis, you're keeping them NPO. You can fill with IV fluids, and you can speed that up by doing push-pull or rapid infusion of fluids if you have the equipment time and bandwidth or inserting a Foley catheter and then filling the bladder with saline right before the ultrasound. Talk about those options with your patient and their family and your sonographers to determine what's the best route to fill that bladder in advance of getting the ultrasound. In general, patients should feel like they missed the last rest stop on a car ride and they're like, when is the next bathroom? I really got to pee. So you got to have a pretty full bladder for this. But ultrasound for ovarian causes of abdominal pain is another episode. So let's talk about those sonographic findings of acute appendicitis. First, you have an appendix diameter greater than 6 millimeters, a non-compressible appendix, and periappendiceal fat infiltration. Let's start with appendix diameter. Now, a study from Trout in 2015 showed that 96% of appendicitis cases in their cohort had a diameter greater than 8 millimeters. So there were a small amount of cases in that cohort that had a quote-unquote normal diameter, or it was even small. So it's not just appendix size that enables you to make the diagnosis. And remember, when I had mentioned those standardized reports, it's appendix size and compressibility and secondary findings. So let's talk about some of those secondary findings. Starting out with marked right lower quadrant transducer tenderness. So this is the pain that the patient feels when the ultrasound transducer probe is pushed into the right lower quadrant of the abdomen. As you'd imagine, this can be hard to tease out in some pediatric patients, especially younger children. An appendicolith, which is basically a poop stone or calcified deposit in the appendix, is actually seen in a substantial number of children with acute appendicitis, but it can also be an incidental finding. So a kid with a normal appendix and no secondary signs and an isolated appendicolith probably doesn't have acute appendicitis. Increased vascularity of the appendix wall can be associated with an inflamed appendix. But if there's tissue necrosis, well, 
there's not much blood flow, so you may not see that. You can also see collections of periappendiceal fluid and abnormal adjacent bowel as secondary findings of acute appendicitis. But these findings are nonspecific, and you can see these in colitis or other intraabdominal processes. Given all that, you can categorize appendix ultrasounds as either normal or negative, positive or intermediate or equivocal. So an example of a normal or negative ultrasound would be visualizing a non-dilated compressible appendix with no secondary signs. A positive ultrasound for appendicitis would show an appendix that is dilated greater than six millimeters that's non-compressible with periappendiceal fat infiltration and possibly some other secondary signs as well. And then there's the equivocal or intermediate ultrasounds. So you could visualize the appendix, but not all of it, or only part of it could be dilated or non-compressible. Or you could not see the appendix, but you could see some secondary signs, like that fat infiltration or changes to the adjacent bowel. And remember, those secondary signs are not necessarily specific to appendicitis alone. So knowing all that, let's talk about how you would take an ultrasound report from a patient with right lower quadrant pain and put it into practice. And this requires a little bit of a digression into clinical scoring systems, like the pediatric appendicitis score. This is used in children 3 to 18 years of age with abdominal pain of less than or equal to 4 days of duration. It stratifies patients into low, equivocal, or high-risk categories, and it includes findings from the history, physical exam, and laboratory data. You should not use it in patients with known GI disease like Crohn's, if they're pregnant, or if they've had previous abdominal surgeries. So what are the components of the pediatric appendicitis score? Well, this is when I would encourage you to pull up MD-Calc or another resource to take a look at them, but the criteria and point values are as follows. So you get two points if your patient has right lower quadrant tenderness to cough, percussion, or hopping. You get one point if they have anorexia, so they're not hungry, their appetite's gone. You get one point for a fever of greater than 38 centigrade or 100.4 Fahrenheit. You get one point for nausea or vomiting. You get two points for tenderness over the right iliac fossa. You get one point for white blood count greater than 10,000. You get another one point for A and C greater than 7,500. And you get one point for migration of pain to the right lower quadrant. And for those of you with 10 fingers, if you were counting along, you know that the maximum score is 10. And a patient with a score of 10 has likely appendicitis. Just consider a surgical consult. The high likelihood group is anybody with a score of 7 to 10. The equivocal or intermediate group is 3 to 6, and anything below 3 is a low-risk score. Now that being said, many patients that you evaluate, you'll do a physical exam, you'll do a history, but you don't necessarily get labs up front. And so though not the focus of this podcast episode, you see how a white count greater than 10,000 or an ANC that's greater than 7,500 can add to your pretest probability of acute appendicitis. So if, especially in a patient who needs IV fluids, IV pain medicine, or in whom you're going to fill the bladder with IV fluids, you should get a CBC as it can help you either before you decide to image 
or afterwards, especially with an equivocal ultrasound. So a patient with an equivocal ultrasound, but a high white count and or a high ANC does have a higher likelihood of appendicitis, and that could lead to the decision to get additional imaging, admit the patient for observation, or take them to the OR. Other scores that are in use in practice include Alvarado and the Pediatric Appendicitis Risk Calculator. Regardless of which one is used, your institution should have a standardized process for using signs, symptoms, and lab data to assess risk for appendicitis. I'll include links to all three of those in the show notes in the blog. So, in a roundabout way, you should really be using these standardized scores or risk calculators to inform your decision whether or not to get an ultrasound of the right lower quadrant to try to make the diagnosis of acute appendicitis. And as you might suspect, the evidence shows that there's no history or physical exam findings, lab test results, pediatric appendicitis score tally that can rule in or rule out appendicitis on its own. Therefore, you have to combine your pretest probability from these validated scales along with your ultrasound results to try to make the diagnosis of acute appendicitis. And this matters because ultimately, the true diagnosis of acute appendicitis is only made via pathology. That's right. You can have an ultrasound that for all the world looks like acute appendicitis. The surgeons can go in and take out a normal appendix. And so you really want to limit the negative appendectomy rate. And what's the negative appendectomy rate in children? Well, a study from 2011 from Gendel was about 5%. So one out of 20 kids had a normal appendix taken out. And really, the most challenging patients are those that have equivocal ultrasounds. And so I alluded to this before, but adding the CBC to those equivocal cases does help the negative predictive value. So if you've got a child with an intermediate or equivocal ultrasound, you can use the CBC, the white count, and the ANC to modify your likelihood of acute appendicitis. And especially if the CBC is normal and the child feels better, that equivocal ultrasound is probably associated with a lower risk of acute appendicitis. And I think I've been dancing around this a little bit, but actually what are the test characteristics of ultrasound with regard to positive, negative, or intermediate findings and their likelihood of the patient actually having acute appendicitis? Well, let's break it down first by whether or not you see the appendix or you don't see the appendix. And again, remember that it's about half to two-thirds of kids where you will actually see the appendix. So if you see the appendix and it has positive findings for acute appendicitis, there's a greater than 90 to 95% chance that the child will actually have appendicitis on pathology. If you see the appendix and there are intermediate findings, you have a 75% chance that the kid is normal and a 25% chance that it's actually appendicitis. So in those cases, you'll proceed with secondary imaging. And if you see a normal appendix with no secondary signs, then there's a greater than 99% chance that that child is fine and that they don't have acute appendicitis. So what if you don't see the appendix? Well, if there's no appendix seen, but there are secondary signs, you have about a 40% chance of it being acute appendicitis and a 60% chance of it not. If you don't see the appendix and there are no secondary signs, you have just about a 4% or 1 in 25 chance of it being acute appendicitis. So in the former group where there are secondary signs with a non-visualized appendix, that's a no-brainer. You're going to get additional imaging and or consult surgery depending on your normal processes and protocols where you work. 
But in those patients where you don't see the appendix and there's no secondary signs, you still do have about a 1 in 25 chance of the child ending up having acute appendicitis. Now that being said, if the PAS is intermediate and the white count is normal and the ANC is normal and the child looks better after some pain medicines, it's only the first day of pain, they have reliable follow-up, you can send that child home with strict return precautions if they get worsening pain, develop a fever, or whatever you think is the most likely thing to happen next in their clinical course. You could also do shared decision-making with the family, and given that risk, or maybe a family history of acute appendicitis or parent preference, proceed with secondary imaging. And so before I close up shop today, let me talk a little bit about those additional imaging modalities that you can use to make the diagnosis of acute appendicitis. First up, CT scans, which have an overall sensitivity of about 93 to 99%, depending on which literature you read, and a specificity of 94 to 100%. So it's a very accurate test. It's widely available, but it exposes the patient to a lot of ionizing radiation. So you need to be in a place where there's pediatric protocols to limit excess radiation. It's also important to note that Seeing a normal appendix on a CT is not a slam dunk. Remember, the sensitivity and specificity are not 100%. It's sometimes hard to actually see a normal appendix on a child with a paucity of intraperitoneal fat. That's a skinny kid or a very little kid. Sometimes a fluid-filled loop of small bowel can look exactly like an inflamed appendix. An appendicolith can be obscured by intestinal contrast. And a Meckel's diverticulum can also look a lot like an enlarged appendix. So on CTs, the diagnosis of appendicitis is unlikely if you clearly see the appendix and you don't see any additional signs of inflammation. Other findings associated with a CT that supports a diagnosis of appendicitis include a wall thickness greater than 2 millimeters, an appendicolith, an enlarged appendix, concentric thickening of the appendiceal wall, the so-called target sign. There's like 800 of those in medicine. A phlegmon or abscess, free fluid in the abdomen, or thickening of the mesentery, and fat stranding. CTs for appendicitis should be done with contrast. You definitely want to check with what your local protocols are, but IV contrast is the most useful form. It's helpful in identifying the appendix and the adjacent structures, especially in those kids under the age of 10 who don't have a lot of mesenteric fat. And there is some emerging data that adding oral or rectal contrast to the IV contrast might not actually improve test performance all that much. Rectal contrast administration is uncomfortable and hard to do, and I've never actually done it in practice. And oral contrast is sometimes hard to do as well, right? The kid could be nauseous and throwing up. They could have a lot of pain. They could think the fruit punch flavor is terrible. And it can delay imaging time. Really, the whole goal of that oral contrast is to get that contrast into the terminal ilium to enhance visualization of the appendix and surrounding structures. But in a third of patients, even by two hours, that contrast still hasn't reached the ilium. So yes, CT for appendicitis should definitely include IV contrast, but the benefit of oral contrast, not as great, and you want to talk directly with your radiologist or CT tech to develop the right protocol for your patient. One more note about CT is that it's not that great at actually seeing the ovaries and female reproductive organs. But you know what is great at seeing the female reproductive organs? 
and is more accurate than CT and ultrasound? You guessed it, MRI. The overall sensitivity of magnetic resonance imaging in the diagnosis of acute appendicitis exceeds 97%. And this is both with and based on some emerging work without contrast as well. Now I get it, MRI is not widely available both throughout the day and at different institutions. But it will be. It's about as expensive as a CT, and especially if you don't use contrast, it could be just as fast. I think that in the future, MRI will be an excellent first imaging choice for patients with right lower quadrant pain and ovaries who are of reproductive age. Okay, so based on average drive times, you're probably pulling into the parking lot at this point, so it's time to wrap it up. So, ultrasound is still the widely agreed upon first imaging modality to use to help make the diagnosis of acute appendicitis in children. You should use something like the pediatric appendicitis score to help you make your decision in the first place. And if you're not working in a place with standardized ultrasound reports for appendicitis, you need to get on that because knowing if the appendix was seen and whether or not there were secondary signs can help you decide what to do next. So if the ultrasound is positive for appendicitis, well, call the surgeon. If the ultrasound is negative and the child looks great, well, send them home with great return precautions. And if the ultrasound is intermediate, know that the risk could be as high as 40% if the appendix isn't seen but there are secondary signs, or as low as 4% if the appendix is not seen and there are no secondary signs. Neither of those numbers are zero, so again, you have to have a really excellent conversation with the family about additional studies or return precautions. All right, well, thanks for listening to this episode focused mainly on the use of ultrasonography in the diagnosis of acute appendicitis. I could not have put it together without the help of Liz Lendrum, current pediatric resident and future chief resident at Cincinnati Children's. Liz, you did an amazing job. If you have any feedback about this episode or about the podcast in general, send it my way. That can be an email, a carrier pigeon, a direct message on Twitter, a comment on the blog, a Facebook message. Any and all feedback is welcome. Send it my way. If there are other topics you'd like to hear about it, let me know about those as well. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you're probably going to see a patient with right-sided abdominal pain on one of your next shifts. So hopefully this episode has enriched your ability to have a patient and family-focused, informative conversation around the diagnosis of acute appendicitis and the interpretation of ultrasound results. Until next time, for PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, this has been Brad Sibileski. Take care. Silence.